Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Lindsay Carter, the founder of Set Active, and this is my new podcast, Ready, Set, Spill. Finding the balance between being a mom, running a business, and still maintaining somewhat of a social life is a constant work in progress. We live in a time where social media glamorizes everything that we do, but life isn't always a perfectly curated Instagram post. And that's coming from someone who built their business on a perfectly curated Instagram feed. Nothing here is off limits, so get ready, get set, because it's time to spill. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am divorced, not dead. I'm a former Bravo TV star and now former wife. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said between each other, society, the sheets, and everything in the middle. And lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey. So buckle up. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Not Dead. And this week I'm joined by a really inspiring female guest. So welcome Katie Lopez, who is not only a divorcee, a busy mom, successful entrepreneur, but has a very successful brand, Stripe and Stare, and has been featured in things like Forbes and many others. It's an underwear lounge brand, which actually, funny enough, having just opened it, I realized that I um, have been using, because I'm a big shopper on Shopbop and things like this, so I always had this delivered before, funny enough. It's so comfortable. But we are here today because Katie's story is so fascinating. Honestly, Katie, I was reading it on the treadmill and couldn't quite believe what I was reading. She lost everything, including her home, through no fault of her own. She woke up one day and she was $1.5 million in debt. Well, I mean... Katie, what oh, you, haven't, you haven't even heard the half of it. Like um, I, I had this week, my therapist loves my story. He's like, can't believe it. I had this week where on Thursday I got burgled house, like just a little bit, just a few laptops missing and stuff. Sunday, my dad died. And Monday I found out my husband was basically living a financial lie and we'd sold our house to fund his imaginary business. So yeah, I found out that we basically, we were in a rented house two small children and 1.5 million pounds worth of debt. It was the week from hell, that's for sure. (laughs) But I think the thing when the worst happens to you is, weirdly, I'm grateful for it now. It's taken me five years to say that, but I am grateful for it now because you don't really find out what you're made of, do you, until you're tested 
And this certainly tested me. I mean, I think when you wake up like that and you don't have any help and you've, as you said, sort of everything, the shit had really hit the fan. You've got no, you've got no choice but to stand back up. You know, you can't sit down. And I try and tell women this all the time in the podcast because we all know them. A lot of women would have broken under that pressure with, you know, a death in the family, you know, losing your husband is enough. And then the financial strain as well with two young children. I mean, most people will have like literally collapsed. Oh my um, God, I did collapse. I really yeah. did collapse. It took me about a year, I think, to kind of get over the shock a bit and to be able to even have the headspace to start being strong enough to rebuild and all of that sort of thing because it's it's a really physical thing when you go through that amount of trauma all in a, all in a row. So, I mean, I'm sure you've been through grief. You know that you get very tired and you need to rest and things like that. And I was trying to work and not giving my body the time to, to recover from everything that had happened. So it did take me about, I mean, I didn't set up Stripe and Stare until about 18 months after it happened because it, I needed that time to kind of recuperate and kind of get my feet back on the ground and work out where we were going to live. And, you know, it's everything, it's your schools, it's everything. Your life is just totally turned on its head. So sort of starting from scratch, in fact, not even starting from scratch, starting from minus one, one and a half million pounds worth of scratch was a lot to take on board. But I was lucky that I had always worked and I'd worked in retail for about 10 years. And while I was in retail, I developed this knicker product. So I'm just so grateful that I had something to fall back on that could provide a future for my children and I and gave us something positive to focus on. So, I mean, if you, a lot of women wouldn't have been in the workforce while they were having children for, I don't know, 10 years, but thank goodness I had always worked. So I, I did have something to fall back on and rebuild my life with. I preach that in every single podcast I do. I don't care how rich you are, how rich of a man you marry. It, you know, you need to be able to work. And I see it every day as a female sort of entrepreneur in the Middle East. I have, when I do put a job out, so many women asking for jobs, but they're like, you know, can I pick up my kids? At t they haven't been in the workforce, first of all, for 10 years or whatever, or six years. And, and then they're like, you know, I need to pick up my child at, at, at three and I, I'll be there by 10. And, you know, you give them the first job to do and they're like exhausted already. And you're like, no, <laughs> no. And, and they're like, yeah, you, you do get out of practice don't you with work it's something that it's like a muscle you've got to keep it flexed yes. and and it's so can't. important because you can't you can't be sure of what what's going to happen is it was a lesson for me in taking financial accountability because I'd slightly grown up in a world where well it sounds really stupid because my mother was very very bright and top graduate in science so she had this huge work ethic but I grew up in a very old-fashioned English family where the boys were you know we were sort of taught all day, every day that you, the men were supposed to earn the money and the women were supposed to be the child carers and take on the, the household side of the family. But something in me had said, I want more than that. And so I'd always fought to work and enjoyed working and found a lot of purpose in it. But I don't think even though I had been doing all that, that I'd ever truly taken financial responsibility for myself. Like I'd always trusted my husband, like he was a banker, you know, he was clever he was like successful and all these things. So I sort of let him run the financial side of our household without questioning it in the way that I should have. And that's basically, I just didn't have my eyes open enough and wasn't aware enough of what was going on in our family. And that's, that was a very big lesson to me. And, and what's something that I instill, I've got a 13 year old daughter and I instill in her. It's like, 
take care of your own finances, like share them, but know what's going on. I just didn't know what was going on. And so many women have said to me since, God, my husband could do exactly what your husband did. And I wouldn't have a clue. I just let him run that side of the the house. So yeah, it's a big lesson in women, just like Oprah Winfrey talks about it a lot. It's like, always take responsibility for your own finances and know where you are with them. And for me, that was a very big learning curve. And I think it's communication because I think that is the way our generation was brought up, not to ask these questions because it's considered crass or it's considered like your money grabbing. You know, the husband does everything and you stay home and make a nice house. And I think that happens less and less, to be honest. It's now a two-income household. But what's fascinating is that he was able to, you know, take loans in your name to use your accounts and and make put the debt into your name really yeah and I just trusted him completely blindly and I just look back at myself and I'm like how could I have been so naive but you know it's your husband you you have you do trust your husband if you god if you can't trust your husband who can you trust it's just about responsibility isn't it and taking ownership and sharing the responsibility rather than sort of allowing somebody else to dictate your world and not understand it fully. Does that make sense? Yeah. So after you sort of woke up and you found you were in this 1.5 million of debt, your husband's gone, like, what do you do? Because as you said, you needed a year to grieve. But so in the meantime, where, where, where did you go? What did you do? Well, I was lucky that my family sort of helped put a roof over our heads while I was regrouping. My children were at a prep school in London, so they sort of had to get pulled out of there. I couldn't afford to stay in London. I couldn't afford to keep them at the school they were at. So we moved to the country. I'm from Devon originally. And my goodness, if you told my 18-year-old self that my 40-year-old self would be living back in Devon, I would have laughed at you and probably throw myself off a cliff but actually keeping it so simple like I had to strip everything back and just focus on the only thing that's mattered which was my children and making sure they were safe and stable and working out how I got out of this so everything else had to be put to the side like social lives you know anything that wasn't a hundred percent totally necessary and I became like a nuclear weapon with focus and slow and steady, you know, you've just got to focus on what needs to be done right now and um, just breathe. So moving to Devon was really good because, you know, London, I'm sure it's like Dubai, it's hectic, it's busy, there's so much going on, but actually moving somewhere that was very quiet, that was very safe, that was a lot cheaper, just helped me find the headspace to focus on the things that I needed to focus on and everything else from my life had to disappear for a bit. And then when you did that, I mean, obviously, did you, did he try and reach out? Did he, you know? My ex. Yeah. Like what he did was very, very extreme. And it probably, there's a lot of mental health issues going on there. And he moved back to Australia, which is where he's from. And actually, I talk about my therapist a lot. He was like, this is one of the most extreme things I've ever heard in all my 30 years of being a therapist. But one thing you've got to know is that you can never rely on him for anything ever again. And he'd been a hugely successful banker earning a lot of money. So at that point, it was like impossible for me to believe. So that took me about 18 months to realize that there was going to be no financial support coming from there. And it was, it was on me. Basically I had to do everything. I had to do, be the provider and the breadwinner and the emotional support for my children and create the new family for them. Has it hit him? I mean, does he realize what he's done or is it just, he's just completely. No, no, I think, God, it's like a therapy session. But I think when somebody's not very well like that, 
it's sort of all wrapped up in narcissism and egos and they're surprising me a lot of them about particularly in the city so it's he basically had some sort of breakdown and was never really going to be able to be in a position to work and support his family again so it's not something that we can really relate to because it wasn't the behavior of somebody who was mentally all there if that makes sense so like it go, was very extreme so you go back and then you realize obviously you know the life as you know known it it doesn't exist anymore so- i know that was one of the hardest things to deal with was the grieving for the future that i thought i had and the life that i thought I was going to have I was living my dream life like you know I had a beautiful house in Notting Hill a really lovely part of a really small lovely community you know I always think of London as like little villages within a big city I you know I could walk down the street there and know 10 people you know it just felt it was just really lovely but um so all of that just got ripped up overnight and yeah I wouldn't have left London unless I'd absolutely had to so yeah it was a bit it was a lot of change a big change all at once and it was a lot to take in there was a yeah a really long period of grief. I think it really took me about five years to get over it. And then you're never the same person after that you were before. But I suppose that's because you've learned so much. I don't think you're the same person anyway when you start, you know, like you start a business or you change your life and you've had a complete life change. Even divorce or grief or any of these things, one of those things that you went through changes a person. So compounded, I can't imagine that you are the same person, no. <laughs> I know, and I kept, there was a lot at the beginning of like, why me? Poor me, how has this happened to me? Like, I, well, that what have I done to deserve this? That's but, what I wanted to ask you because so many women that I know, you know, go into victim mode and then shut down and think the world's just going to come and save them at the end. Oh, I think I thought that a lot. I think that I thought that a lot. And people would say everything to me like, why don't you just marry a rich man? Why do he can solve your problems overnight? Or, you know, or just, I don't know, go and live a very simple life. And, and you talked at the beginning about getting a nine to five job. But actually, if you're a single mother, that's incredibly difficult to do because you want to be there for the school pickups and the sports matches. And, and I knew that I wanted to work really hard but I had to be able to do it and still be there for my children, which was why basically starting a business from scratch was kind of my only option so that I could be my own boss and dictate my own hours. But it's, of course I went into victim mode a lot and I still have moments where I'm like, you know, when all your friends are out having a great time at a party and you can't get there because of work or children or commitments or whatever. And I'm just like, Oh, I'm so annoyed. Why can't I go and do that? But actually, you know, those days will come back and I'm still, life is still very simple. It's a bit more exciting, but it's still pretty simple. Like I said at the beginning, I'm actually weirdly grateful because I have learned so much about myself. I've had to dig really deep and read and learn about things like mindfulness and not getting overwhelmed by the big things and just focusing on the small. And I do slightly believe that you're never given more than you can cope with. And actually I'm living a much bigger life now because of it because I got tested and I'm having to do these things. So my sense of confidence and purpose has just gone through the roof. All these things that I didn't know I was capable of, that I've had to become capable of, because I've had no choice. But I think that that's just so important. Like, I mean, Sophie, my sister-in-law, is exactly the same. She's so grateful for the experience of getting divorced in a way that it made her the person she is today. And for me, like, I mean, I'm much more successful on my own now than I was yes. married. Because you, know. you have to be. You've got no choice. You've just got to get on with it, haven't you? Yeah, there's no and one. actually, Sophie's podcast that she did with Caroline Fleming, 
I used to listen to all the time and I, I think we were sort of going through our stuff at the same time. So podcasts actually have been like a game changer for me. So whenever I was having a bad day, I would just listen to Sophie and Caroline, just listening to human beings who, and Sophie who's been through the same thing, whether it's that or whether it's going more like Deepak Chopra or Brené Brown, you know, all these things. Like there's huge, there's so much conversation going on around putting ourselves out there and challenges and tests and all of that sort of thing. I mean, there is, and it's, I think it's, you know, listening to other people's stories so you don't feel alone. How did you get the strength then not to, you know, break, completely break, as you said, and then start again and rebuild? Because, you know, as you said, you're starting from a pretty dire situation where you've got to pay, you have to pay it back, right? Where, I mean, I, are people chasing you for money? I don't know. Oh my God, it was awful. But people would be sort of on the phone going, I'm so sorry. I know this is not your fault. However, can you pay me 30,000 pounds tomorrow? And I'd be like, where am I going to find 30,000 pounds from tomorrow? It was just about, you know, it was, it was hustling and sort of being very straightforward with people about the reality of it. Because I think my husband had told so many lies that people thought I was sitting on sort of tens of millions. And it was like, you have to understand none of it is true. I'm going to do my absolute best to pay you back, but you're going to have to work with me a bit here. Otherwise it's just not going to happen. And most people, I think if you're truly honest with them and talk to them a lot are pretty understanding. Most people are good, aren't they? And we'll work with you. It was just about, yeah, being very organized and prioritizing and just, just slow and steady rebuild. I, I was really lucky at the beginning because a few things fell into place at the same time for me before I started Stripe and Stare. So I knew I had this amazing product that people lost their minds for. Like the knickers are basically emblem for everything of the strength. And because they've been on exhibit actually in the Victoria and Albert Museum because they were, they picked us as the future of underwear because they're so comfortable and they're sustainably sourced. So they did a retrospective of women's underwear. So it was like showing how women's underwear had gone from the corset right through to us being the future of underwear and all the stages in between, but how it had mirrored female rights. So they kind of became this emblem of power for me. And so I had this great product and I got really lucky that um, someone I'd worked with in the past was working as an MD in London and she was not happy in her job. And then a seed investor came to me and said, Katie, I've been watching you over the years and I think you're really interesting. And if you ever want some money, I'll, I'll, give it to you. Not, not a huge amount, but I'll give you a bit. So I had those two things that fell into place for me and made me, enabled me to open Stripe and Stare. And we started very small back in line with that, keeping it small, small, simple baby steps. And it's really, really weird, but I knew it was going to work in a way I've never known anything before. I think a lot of that was, again, back to do with podcasts. I'd listened to a lot of like Gabby Bernstein and it sounds so woo-woo and out there, but like the manifesting. And it's like, if you know to your core, it's going to work, it sort of does. Yeah, does I that believe sound in ridiculous? that. No, no, it does. I, I, I'm a big sort of vision board manifester too. So. Exactly, <laughs> but that stuff works. I keep saying to everybody, it, it's bizarre, but it does work. It works, and I've got, I've got a board, and I, I sort of tick off every business thing that I want or achievement I want to make, and see it happen. And as you see it happen, more and more comes, which is amazing. Oh my god, it's so weird because um, the podcasts that I was obsessed with at while, while I was in my darkest days were sort of firm cotton and happy place. Gabby Bernstein, 
And there was another one as well that I used to listen to all the time. But it's really bizarre because of those three, I now work with all of those women. And I'm like, oh my God, the universe is so weird how it works. And that how is amazing. it's kind of come together for me. So what advice would you give to a woman then who wanted to get some to leave their husband? And obviously don't they, they're financially not able to, to do that. But you, I mean, in a way you, it sort of happened to you. I was forced. I hit a brick wall. So I had no choice. And actually I probably would have buried my head in the sand and pretended I was in a very happy marriage for the rest of my life. So actually in some ways I was done a favor and got out of a situation where I probably wasn't happy, but yeah, God, that would be harder, you know, when things aren't as drastically bad. So you can stay with it and worrying about the children and all of that sort of thing. But what advice would I give? I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is you've just got to know what you want. And it's that vision board of what's going to make you happy in five years time. And then what are the steps you need to take to get there? And whether that's working on your marriage and making that stronger or whether it's starting something for yourself. And, and you know, you can start businesses with so little money these days, like a website costs next to nothing to start up and just test and start really small baby steps it's really interesting. Actually, we did a VC raise last year. So we raised some sort of proper investment money into the business and we will only 4% of venture capital money goes to female run businesses in the UK. And it's because we don't put ourselves out there. You know, we're so risk averse women and we don't walk into a room and sort of go, Oh, my business is going to be worth a hundred million pounds in the way that probably men do. But actually I think that's our superpower and our strength is that we are more cautious. So we start smaller, we work out what it is that we're good at. We work out what our business is going to be good at. And then our foundation is much more stable and strong so that we can build for the future. Like we're four years old and we only took VC money last year because we only really figured out last year what we'd actually do with it if we had it. Yeah. And the returns on female run businesses are 50% to 50 higher than male run businesses. I believe that. And how big is the team now? We are up to 30 people. That's really exciting. I remember. I know. It's, 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 like, really a, it's like a machine. It sort of just keeps rolling. I love stories like not, I mean, obviously it's not a great story, but <laughs> as in seeing you come out the other side. <laughs> no, but it is a story. And everyone it always is a says great to me, story. you must write a book. And I'm like, I'm not writing the book until I've got my happy ending. I don't want this to be a like doom and gloom story. I want it to be uplifting and powerful and something that other women can draw strength from. And know that even in the darkest times, you can get out of it. And showing people, I think that the traditional marriage is dead. And I really think that that's important for our children, for the future, for, you know, everyone, because, you know, traditional marriages is what silences people, silences women. You know, you should have uncomfortable conversations in your marriages, which we, you know, are taught not to do. God, I couldn't agree more. And that's why I don't think I'll ever get married again, because I found... I found that part very hard to do, but... Well, when you're dating a man, are you able to trust again? I don't know yet. I'm not there yet. I do date, but I keep it very um, lighthearted. Like I'm definitely not in a position where I'd be ready to share my life and that level of responsibility with somebody else. I need to, I need to do more for myself before I'm ready to do that, to share my life with anyone else. How do you, I mean, you know, again... You, you didn't have a choice. And because, you know, when somebody walks out so abruptly and your life changes so abruptly, how did you sort of get healed from that? Did you do it yourself? Or as you said, you have a, a therapist now. I definitely needed to speak to somebody and just kind of unravel it all in my brain. But I mean, it sounds 
so sort of, I don't know, but just making sure you get enough sleep, making sure you're really fit and healthy in your body, eating right. And just, just that's keeping, for me, it was about keeping life incredibly simple and it's healing, isn't it? It's just time. You've just got to give yourself, your mind, your body, your soul time to heal from the trauma. And that takes a really long time, I think. And I, I accepted that very early on that I wasn't going to feel strong for years. So I wasn't sort of fighting it. I just kind of let it do what it had to do. Does that make sense? Just to work its way out of my body. And how were friends around you? My God, I'm so lucky that I just had, and I knew I had this from the beginning, that I had got a group of about probably six women who are just my, they've been my friends for 20 years. They know me like a sister and they were unbelievably strong. And that's what pulled me through. That was a big part of what pulled me through is knowing that I had an army behind me who had my back. And so now, obviously, I mean, in a way, it's kind of closure as well, that at least he's he's left the country. <laughs> so Actually, do you know what? What a blessing. Yes. What a blessing. It is. And he's got no money, so he can't meddle in my life. So it's But that is so a those... blessing. It sounds it's it's it, it closes a door because you know, sometimes these types of men can come back and try and get more and you're vulnerable and things like this. Or meddle in the children's lives and try and yeah. I've got friends whose husbands, you know, looking for joint custody just trying to be problematic and thank goodness I don't have that. So, so how are the children? Obviously I saw, I saw or read that they occasionally FaceTime with him. How do they cope? I mean, do they blame him? Do they, do they realize what he's done? Do they, do they know the extent of what he did to you or, or you've kept it away from them? A bit of both. I've, yes, they FaceTime him, but children are so smart, aren't they? And they see everything. They feel everything. So harder for my daughter, I think, who was six when it happened. And as far as she was concerned, was living sort of a very stable, happy life. And her father was, you know, always there, always reliable. So one day she had that and the next day he was gone. So very tough for her. But one thing that I knew at the beginning is that I always had to be honest with them, but never scare them. So answer questions completely honestly, but don't use any big, scary words like divorce and, you know, anything just start building the the foundation for the future. So I've never said anything negative about him in front of them. And I never would because they will find out in their own time what happened. And actually it's, it's my daughter found out a couple of years ago when he started making promises to her and then not delivering on them. So that's been quite a tough, I watching her heartbreak for me was a sort of, you know, it's one thing to break my heart, but it's not okay to break my daughter's heart. So I sort of put in more boundaries at that point. So now the, the FaceTimes are very, very top line. There's nothing deep, but they're, they're thriving. You know, they, they have thrived off the simpleness of our lives. Although my daughter's 13 now and she started boarding school in September. So she's like taking over the world, but doing so well. Like they're so, they're, they're both really happy, really stable and you know, I, I have a thing that all children want is Groundhog Day. They just, they need that sense of security, the boundaries, knowing what they're coming home to every night. So a big part of my focus was keeping life as consistent for them as I possibly could. And that's a big part of why I've not dated with anyone serious. You know, I just can't have that risk of bringing somebody 
into what we've created, which is a very stable, calm, happy little universe. Um, so that's kind of enough for all of us, I think, at the moment. I mean, you know, I think children and people, that's a lot of people don't leave unhappy marriages or they, you know, it's always, I stayed for the children. I did this for the children, but children are, as you said, extremely rea- extremely resilient and they sort of whatever becomes their new reality they adapt to if it's, you know, as long as it's from good intention and they can see that, as you said, it's a safe, calm haven to be in that, you know, they, they sort of adapt. They do adapt. Yeah. And I think always be honest with them is so important because they know, they do know deep down what's going on, like not, not in the way they would have, they were an adult, but they can sense everything. And there's, you know, you just need to be able to have that honest conversation. I'm always sort of asking them, how do you feel about this? And then I make them practice gratitude. It sounds really lame, it? but at Suffer, we're like, I'm like, right, everyone's got to tell me what they're grateful for today. And it's like, and it is focusing on those positives, isn't it? Even when the world's falling down around you, you've got your health. That's one thing. My children are okay. That's another thing. And those little things are what you just have to draw the strength from. And I think it's key. And I think the one thing that you said as well, that's really poignant that I said that I did as well as I never used the word divorce either because it sounds like a death and it's not, you know, and that's it. It sounds so final and, you know, they don't understand. Other than that, you can really navigate a divorce very simply with children because, you know, if you make it okay and you make it a sort of an event that you can discuss and together and how it's going to be and explain it to them, then it it doesn't have to be this scary Exactly, and treat them like, not adults, but, you know, treat them like, intelligent human beings so don't try and hide it away from them because that's more scary from them for them if they don't know what's going on but just tell them what they need to know when they need to know it and they're really good at asking as well for the information they need at the right point mm-hmm. I think I don't know whether you've seen that with your children no they are they are especially my daughter um, oh, girls they're all over it aren't they they are and she, she was never she I always said you know are you okay about everything and she just said yes as long as you're happy I'm happy mummy and that is so true because they look at you and it's, I always think it's like being on an aeroplane where, you, where you're in turbulence and you look at the, um, the stewardess and if she's not freaking out, you don't freak out. hundred percent. I think one of the other things that you said to me as well just now, which is so important is that, you know, you were living in this glamorous life with all these probably glamorous friends going to these big events with all these handbags and clothes and everything that we all wanted and think in London, we all need. And it's amazing what you realize you don't really need anymore. Oh my God. That was the, probably one of the biggest lessons I learned is because I got wiped out materially as well. Do you know when we got robbed? My thing that I got, I was most upset that got stolen was my Celine handbag. Like literally that was the number one thing I was upset about. But it's just stuff. None of it matters. It's just things. And like, and believe me, I still love, you know, my rag and bone pair of jeans, my Celine handbag, my Aquazura high heels, but I don't need them. I love them. It's just fluff. It's just not what's important in life. And, and actually you really realize that when it's all been stripped away, when it's all been taken away from you, you see that so clearly. I show, I show people a lot because I mean, obviously I'm in, you know, I, I have to 
get the looks and the clothes and it's all a bit of part of my business and who I am. No, I love looking at your Instagram. Thank you. so glamorous and having so much fun. And your husband is handsome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Well, and again, you know, we have so much fun doing it, but you know, the clothes are part of my business, but at the same time I keep it moving and it's fun and I enjoy it, but it's not as important as it used to be when I was living in London and I had this lifestyle here. All I really need is bikinis and like flip-flops, but you know, so simple. it's so, yeah. so much more simple. If it was taken away tomorrow, I wouldn't need it. And that's what's, you know, I think is so important that London and, and all of these cities have sort of driven us to be so materialistic. Mm. And women think that we need that to keep up with the Joneses where you don't. Oh, isn't it so liberating when you don't give a fuck what anyone thinks about you? Yeah. I literally am like... That comes with age. That comes with age. <laughs> okay, one last question. So if you were going to give advice to a young female entrepreneur to get started, how would you do it? Because it is so, it is sort of daunting, isn't it? It's taking that first step. Oh my God, it's so daunting. And so many people are scared of failure. And actually for me, I'm more scared of not trying than I am of trying and failing. My biggest piece of advice is I've got this amazing chairman, Robin, um, who was one of the ex-heads of Bowdoin. Do you know that UK fashion clothing company? So he's like a real guru. And the first thing he did when I met him was he, he slammed a book on the table. It's called Good to Great. It's by Jim Collins. And it's about what makes a business brilliant. And it's, it's really simple. It's you have to work on this hedgehog. So it's what can you be the best in the world at? What are you truly passionate about? And what's going to be your economic engine? And once you've done that piece of work, which really helps to focus to you, what your business is all about and what you're going to do differently to everybody else out there, everything else sort of slots into place. So it's about really nailing your concept and not getting distracted. Because my my instinct would be like, oh, let's make some stationery. Let's make some candles. Let's make some bubble bath. But actually... It's about focus and we're all about the knicker. Like that's what we're the best in the world at. It's our economic engine and we're truly passionate about it. And then everything else that comes around it with the sustainability, with the pajamas and the lounge is great to have. But fundamentally, 50% of our business is that one knicker product. Amazing. Thank you so much. That's excellent. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Katie, for coming on today. I've loved it. Oh, I've I loved mean, it. Sorry, I've rattled away, Caroline. No, it's, it's wonderful because it really helps useful. other people. And it just, I think just to show that, I mean, first of all, I'm now obsessed with your knickers and everyone needs to go and buy a <laughs> thank pair. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, obviously everyone's rooting for you because no one deserves to be left in a situation like that by anybody. And I hope that other women out there listen to this and do take care of their finances. And I equate this, by the way, this can happen to, you know, I I know plenty of women married to these multi-millionaires. I was living in a three million pound house in Notting Hill, like living the dream. Yeah. Yeah. And then they get thrown out. I mean, you know, and, and, and this is exactly what can happen to you. And, you know, thank God you were in a position to build this company and become so successful. And everyone out there needs to go and look at Stripe and Stare. They're super, super soft. I sleep in them. (laughs) And, but, you know, you really are a, a sort of, beacon for other women because I really hope so I really hope so because we are in it together and and our entire business is built on women having each other's backs and you remember this was before me too started it was like a real wake-up call of like women are not where we should be yet and we need to fight a bit harder and all look after each other as well there's so much power in that there really is and so thank you for coming on the podcast I've really (laughs) enjoyed listening to you and I will be ordering more clothes 
Thank you for listening to Divorce Not Dead. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at, at Caroline Stanbury for all the behind the scene action. 